grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Well, good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? We're finally there. It's Thursday, the night before Friday, right? Tomorrow's Friday. Get everybody's weekend started. And what a weekend it's going to be. It's been clear here in California, but of course the rain is going to start up Saturday. That's the breaks. We had like three or four days to clean up this mess. Now we get to prep for the next mess. Anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I am going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you think you might have a paranormal problem going on in your home or business, we can help you out. It may take us a while to get to you because California is a rather large state, but we will get to you. And if we can't get to you, we have people on staff, mediums like Nancy Matt, right? Well, let's throw, let's throw a name out there. Nancy Matt and Karen Clark, who can call you and maybe help you figure out you know, pretty much what's going on and keep it under control till we can get there or, or keep it low down, say under control, but kind of get on the low down till we get out there. So, uh, look at my head's always crooked. I swear my head's crooked. I always had, when you know, I was a photographer, so I always had my nose problem. The ridge of my nose up here is, is off balance. So my photos were always like this and we could never figure it out. And finally one day I figured it out that I had to compensate. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough of that. Enough about me. So, uh, yeah, so we, we can get out and help you out. Now, if you're watching the show from Facebook and you haven't done so already and you like what you hear, please be sure to hit that, you know, hit, hit those thumbs up and the hearts and all that good stuff. And if, if you haven't um, decided to follow, I would, please do that, you know, because we are doing a show every day here between Sunday and Friday. We got a show going every day. Real cool guests like the guests we're going to have tonight. Okay. So that's a way to follow us. Also, same thing, if you're on YouTube and uh, you haven't done so yet, please uh, subscribe. And that'll, uh, well, you can see them anyway. I'm just saying that, that'll alert you every time we have a show coming out, a new show. Also, you know, we have more than 541 videos over at YouTube. And uh, since I'm a journalist, I like to change it up. I don't like to cover paranormal stuff all the time. So there's all kinds of different topics over there, and I'm sure there's something you'll like. Like, For instance, last night we had a gentleman on, Dr. Randall Bell, and we talked about how to turn trauma into something positive. So I, I, I like to cover different topics. Okay, that being said, the Patreon is up and running, the California Haunts Radio Patreon. I did not get a chance today to put any links in the description for this show. However, if you guys go visit YouTube later on, Tonight, I will have the link in for uh, the Patreon. Now, the idea with the Patreon is that uh, it's $5.50 for membership on my Patreon. But, uh, you know, like I'm always asking you guys for help, you know, with bill, with, with, with funds here because you are trying to keep the show going, right? This is a way to keep everything going. And uh, it's an additional way to keep everything going. But you're going to get a lot of stuff. I did a pre-recorded uh, video today with, with another interview. And uh, that's going to be the first one that we have over on Patreon. Because what's going to happen is when I do a pre-recorded interview, those are going to be shown over at the Patreon first for 
the people that subscribed. And then maybe a week later, the same video is going to show on California Haunts, you know, on the regular California Haunts Radio YouTube. So it's kind of like a treat for the people that subscribe. Not only that, you know, we're going to do special one-on-one talks with people that have appeared on the show. Like there might be a question that you wanted to ask that you didn't ask while, while we were on the air, and then you could go over to the Patreon and you could have, do a one-on-one for an hour or so with the guest, okay? We're going to be doing that. Nancy's going to do special readings over there for people. We're going to have private, you know, psychic readings over there. Um, we get enough people signed up, and I'm going to do giveaways every month, okay? It's going to be random giveaways. Uh, California Haunts coffee cups, things like that, I'm going to get, I'm going to give away. So like I said, I do not have the um, setup for the Patreon yet in the description of the show today, but I will have it after the show. I, I will go ahead and put it in there for you guys, okay? It's just I ran a, a short on time because I, like I said, I pre-recorded a show earlier, which ended at 5.45, and then here I am right here doing this. Okay, <clears> that's enough of that. And Oh, yes, also, if you like the show while you're watching it, share it. Share it around. Okay, now I'm done. I'm winded. My guest tonight has been on before, and she had a fascinating and scary story to tell about a house that she purchased and what happened in that house. But tonight she's coming on, we'll touch base a little bit about the after effect on that house, but tonight she's coming on, and we're going to be talking about something that everybody's interested in. It's something I witnessed, you know, I took care of my mother and father in their elder age, and it wasn't so much my father, but my mother, I witnessed stuff you know, with her as she got closer to her death, that was rather interesting. You know, and I even I saw some apparitions as she got closer to her death. Apparitions of my aunts, you know, my deceased relatives that were hanging out at the house. So um, Lynn is a nurse, and she has some stories to tell. She's got a book out about the subject, and she's going to talk to us about that tonight. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, so uh, sit back, and like the, <clears throat> like, like the intro says, Grab some jammies, grab some snacks. We're gonna have we're gonna have a good show tonight. So here we go. Where's my mouse? There we go. Hi. Welcome Hi, back. Charlotte. How it's are great you? to see you. You look it's amazing. Good it's wow, good to it's see been you. A while. Yeah, it has. It has been a while. I've actually got um, almost five books out now, but um, you know, wow. you have to balance the paranormal. I mean, it's still paranormal, but there's a white loving side to paranormal as well as the, the dark stuff. And please forgive my kitchen. I just had a cast taken off. Um, and so I have to prop my foot upon a chair. So <laughs> welcome to Lynn's Kitchen. I hope cool. my dishes are done. I, I'm pretty sure they are. So yeah, thank you so much for having me back. And you know, that Patreon thing, that Patreon thing sounds, I, I want to join. So yeah, you know, uh, definitely let me know when that's up and going strong and I, I will definitely become a I member. I will do that, yeah. I was hoping to do it today, but I ran out of time because I, I was setting up for your show, I was setting up for the other show, did the pre-record on the other show and then boom, I had like a half hour in between. And, and Lynn's not gonna say anything, but if she saw me through the green room, I was sucking on a cook, couple cookies. Oh, uh, there you go. Now to have the energy to start <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. Well, it is just, it's really, really great to see you. So thank you so much for having me on. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, do you want me to just to go ahead and go? Well, yeah. You know what? Let's, for the people that don't okay. remember who you are or, or the, the, newer, the newer people that watch the show, tell mm -hmm. us about you because I, I know we talked about your house or that house yes. the last time you were on, that scary spooky house that gave me nightmares. 
Yes. <laughs> um, uh, well, as she said, my name is Lynn Monet. Um, I have been, I have had abilities ever since I was very, very young. We, uh, my family and I lived three blocks, three short blocks behind a hospital that was connected with a nursing home. So my siblings and I would, it was commonplace to see patients in patient gowns walking through the house. And, um, but of course, um, back in the 60s, yes, I'm going to be 60 in May, but back in the 60s, I was born in 1963. That's not something that you really talked about because uh, everything was about what the Joneses would find out. And you would literally have men in white coats come and pick you up for stuff like that, take you for lobotomy. So you didn't really talk about it. And of course, it was not supported uh, in my family at all. Um, so when I got to be about five years old, something very profound happened. I was in my mother and father's bedroom and I was in my mom's jewelry box like little girls like to do and I was decorating myself. And my brother was in the room with me on the floor playing with his cars and he was two years older than me. I was five, he was seven. And I turned to show him how glamorous I had made myself. And of course, he's, he's staring, he's fixated on this corner of my parents' bedroom wall. And so I, I turn, you know, to look and see what he's looking at. And there's this misting there. And in the misting steps in my brother's best friend, John, the mother, father, and then brother. And they're all just standing there smiling at us. So my brother gets up and runs out of the room calling for my mother. I get up and run out of the bedroom in the opposite direction, calling for my mother. And of course, my brother finds her first and he says, mom, mom, John's here and his family. And she's like, I didn't even hear anybody knock. And she's so, he says, and they're in your bedroom. And she's like, they're in my bedroom. You know, who let them in my bedroom? So of course she's dropping the laundry and rushing, you know, trying to usher these people out of her bedroom because her bed wasn't made. And so when she got in there, of course, there was nothing there. And my brother did get in trouble. And of course, I kept my mouth shut because I didn't want to get in trouble too, even though I had seen the same thing. But the very next day was the first day back to school after spring break. And my brother was riding on the bus and little John used to always sit with him on the bus. They were best buddies. And of course, he, he wasn't there that day. And then when my brother got to school, they shared a desk because there were two people at each at each table and he shared the table with John. And again, John wasn't there. And after the class said the Pledge of Allegiance, the teacher stood up in front of the class and said that John would not be returning to school because he and his entire family perished in an auto accident the day before. And it happened that day. It happened the day that we saw him. So it was like John had come to to say goodbye. So I continued to see things. And uh, when I was about 10 years old, um, I was raised Presbyterian. My mom decided to take a jaunt with the Jehovah's Witnesses, which we won't go there, but that's a book in itself. I will say that. Um, and because I was still seeing things, she brought me to uh, what they call the elders. And the elders in the church are similar to like the priest or the minister, the the, the people that are the head of the church that make the decisions. And I am standing at 10 years old, petrified in front of all of these men who are telling me that I'm crazy, telling me that I'm possessed, telling me that, you know, that what I'm seeing is demons. And I got so frightened by my own gifts that I continued to say things. And even if it was something like my great grandmother that should be comforting, I would run out of the room screaming just as fast as anybody else, thinking that it was a demon. So 
coming forward um, as a single mother, I was trying to purchase a home to provide for my family uh, a better home. And that's where my first book comes into play. It was, it's called Omnipresent. And the story is about a book that the house was so haunted that I was never able to actually move into the house. Um, with with that, and I, I don't mind telling a little bit about that, but I know that we only have an hour and, and right. the, I want to get into the, the good stuff. Let's into the other stuff, right. Yeah, yeah. So um, after um, I, I did sell the house and for anybody, you know, that's wants to judge, I did try to tell the people that the house was haunted um, and they didn't want to hear it. They, they said they were Baptists. They didn't they didn't discuss those sorts of things. So I did try to tell them, but it, it was a very eye-opening book. However, it also put me in touch with people of like mind. So, and people that were seeing things in the house the same time I was. So uh, it helped me to start to nurture my gifts again. And I started, you know, to realize that it was okay, you know, to have those gifts. So after the house was sold, um, I did write another book that was called this uh, Omnipresent is actually going to end up being a series of five books. So in book two, Omnipresent, what happened next? It talks about um, what happened to the people that the people ended up moving out of the house six months later. Um, I did get a hold of the family that I purchased the house from and got the stories about how their children were being attacked and how strange things were happening and that's the reason why they also um left and moved out and another thing too is with my ability to to nurture my gift of second sight um i was able to use my abilities um when i went back to school i'd gone back to school to further my degree um, i've been a nurse 37 years i also have a degree in biological science um, but i went back to further my degree as a nurse and we had to do a rotation through uh, when we had took our psych class we had to do rotations through facilities dealing with psychiatric patients and um i um i with my second sight i was able to identify people with attachments and um, a lot of those people um that are misdiagnosed with schizophrenia you're not hearing the voices in your head they're being whispered in your ear and um you know, I could see those attachments on people. I even took them off of uh, one girl uh, that was there that was actually being clawed. She had claw marks all over her. She was covered in that. I'd be happy to tell that story if you want me to. But sure, I'm, okay. absolutely. All right. Well, I, well, um, I had uh, as a student. There were eight of us. We we went into this facility. We were. It was the intake area, so there were some violent patients in there that hadn't had their medication balanced. We literally had to sign papers that if we got knocked in the head with something or bitten by somebody or something happened to us that we couldn't hold the facility responsible. So um, the teacher had left to go and get our, our assignments uh, with patients. And there was this young woman in her early 20s that walked up and she points at me and she says, you can help me. I know you can. And of course, I'm like, oh, my God, I hope she's not talking to me. Because, you know, I'm look, kind of looking over my shoulder and I'm like, please, please don't be talking to me. Because that day I didn't want to be Lynn the weirdo. I wanted to be Lynn the, the student nurse, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, type thing. And so the teacher came by at that time and she said, don't make eye contact, don't speak to anybody. And she ushered us out of the room. However, I was then placed back in that area with one other nurse. 
And we were, the other nurse and I were sitting, they had tables, picnic tables in there that were bolted to the floor. So we were sitting at the picnic tables doing our, our nurses, our charting, and the young woman comes over. And anybody that's familiar with my story with the house knows that someone did get clawed to the point of bleeding while they stood next to me in that kitchen. So I'm looking at this woman sitting next to me and she is covered in claw marks, covered. And I mean, she had them coming out of her ear, her nose. She was talking about how she heard 25 different voices. She said that she, that she was molested by her pastor when she was like 10 to 14. And then her mother got remarried and the stepfather started raping her and she ran away at 16 and then got into um, some form of devil worship. And um, the, now she's hearing these, these 25 different uh, voices. But I'm sitting with this woman and I'm, I, she had on a spaghetti straps with, with a top so I could see her back. I could see her shoulders, her arms, you know, a lot of the skin on her body. And I mean, she had, she had claw marks in areas that, that there would be absolutely no way unless she was a contortionist mm -hmm. that she would be able to do that by herself. But of course the institution was claiming that she had self-administered those. And she even talked about one that she said had a long nail that was actually clawing her on the inside of her female parts. But again, they were claiming that she was doing this to herself. So as she's sitting there telling us, um, myself and the other nurse, that her story, she was called away because it was her time with the psychiatrist or therapist or whoever it was where they would go and sit and have a session with. And when she got up to walk away, she had over each shoulder, kind of like Santa Claus bags, they were about as big as a standard pillowcase um, over each shoulder, like clear. I'm saying clear bags only because the way that they were, it looked like they were held together by something. They were clustered like grapes. They looked like misshapen potatoes, but they were heads. And some of them were inverted. So the eyes were on the bottom and the mouth was on, on the top. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, that, that young woman really is hearing 25 different voices. She's got attachments on her back. And um, at that time, I was going through a lot of personal stuff. I was taking care of my mother in my house that was dying of cancer and going through a divorce. And I had a three-year-old at home, you know, with a teenager. And so I, you know, when you remove things like that off of people, which I do remove things like that off of people, um, you have to be prepared and protect yourself because that's not something that you want to attach to you and that you take home with you. Right. And, and that can happen. So you need to make sure that you are overflowing because when you get into that kind of energy, and I'm sure Charlotte will agree with me on this, it's exhausting when you're finished because, yeah. you, because you constantly have to put a bubble of protection around yourself because you're constantly being attacked by the entities um, in, the, in the room because they know that you're there to get them out. And of course they don't want to leave. So they're attacking you and you have to have like a force field. And it takes a lot of energy to keep that and maintain that like force field for lack of a better word um, up. So anyway, she came back uh, from her hour with, with her therapist and I went to her room and I knocked on the door frame and I, she invited me in and I said, listen, I said, um, what I'm about to tell you, I said, if you tell anybody else, they're going to think you're crazy. I said, and they're going to keep you in here longer. I said, so I believe that you are hearing 25 different voices because you have attachments on your back. I said, I can see them. 
Um, and I said, when you get out of here, you need to go and find someone to remove these things. And something just, she, she kind of turned her back to walk towards her bed and something just, I don't know where the strength came from, but I just felt it come through. And I literally took my fingers, the way that those bags were attached to her is it was almost looked like a, a horn type thing that was kind of twisted and attached at the top of the shoulder and kind of clasped up into her armpit. So it wasn't all the way over. They were like C clasps almost. Um, and I went and I put my fingers and I lifted them off. And I was really surprised at how easy they came off. And of course, when I pulled them away from her, they started falling all over the ground and I'm trying to step on them and mash them into the ground. A few of them rolled away and she turned immediately and she said, it felt like you were pulling grass off my back. She didn't even know that I was doing that. And she's, she's like, what, what did you do? You, you, it felt like you were pulling grass off of my back. So she felt it. And I explained to her, I said, look, this is a temporary fix. I got a lot of them off of you. So you're not going to hear as many voices. You do have some clustered over there by your bed. I said, your house probably has some in them, but you need to please go find someone when you get out of here that can help you remove those things. Lo and behold, about a year later, I'm in Walmart. I'm squatted down in the candle section looking at candles and there's these two women at the end of the aisle and they're whispering and looking at me and I'm like, oh my God, you know, what is, do I have a piece of toilet paper on my shoe or my zipper? Maybe my butt's showing, you know, I mean, I didn't know why they were, you know, talking and then all of a sudden I hear the one girl say to the other, I, I, I know that's her, I'm going to go, I'm going to go say something. I thought, oh, well, maybe it's a fan, you know, my book. And this woman walks over and she was familiar to me, but she looked so different that I hardly recognized her. Um, when she was in the facility, I mean, her head was almost shaved. Um, she, she was, you know, she was a different, a different weight, but her, but she was, when you get overtaken from things like that, they drain even your color out of your skin. And it just, um, she, she had this short little blonde bob, she had her makeup on, she looked beautiful. And I'm like, I, I'm like, you know, you're familiar to me, but I, I'm sorry. I said, I don't know. She says, you're the nurse. You're the nurse that helped me. And then she started to tell me and I said, oh my God. I said, I, I said, oh my, I said, look at you. She says, yeah, I'm in my first year of dental hygiene school. She said, and I'm off all of my schizophrenic medication and I'm only taking something now for mild anxiety. And I, and I thought to myself, oh my God, you know, so with that being said, when I continued there that day before I saw her at the, at, you know, that year later, I started looking at other patients in the facility and I could pick out the ones that had schizophrenia versus the ones that had addiction. Addiction also carries attachments, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But those clustered heads are like souls, you know, that either right. don't want to cross over, they want to latch onto you. So um, anyway, I, a couple of my friends had patients with schizophrenia and I walked, I said, does your patient, is your diagnosis schizophrenia? And they're like, yeah, how'd you know? And I'm like, oh, I just wondered. And, and I mean, literally like 88, like 98% of the time I was, you know, correct. There was only one that had a, multiple things going on, addiction and, um, you know, being diagnosed with, you know, with it also with attachments that I, you know, kind of missed. But in addition to that, I was able to walk around the facility and see people who had been 
admitted for addictive um, reasons. And those people also carry what I call archons. They are, they look like um, spiders, like crabs, and also they can look reptilian. Um, sometimes the reptilian ones have a tail that will curl and kind of attach, you know, kind of sit on the hip, um, or they have a human buttocks with no tail on the reptilian ones only. And the distinct things about these attachments are their heads are much smaller in proportion to their body. So it's kind of the opposite of like a child, you know, the baby's got the, the, the big head, the little body in comparison. It is the opposite. And, and they have a very, very distinct uh, fin that starts at the top of their head and goes back to the back of their neck. But it's not rigid like a, a dolphin fin. It's floppy. So, so when when they turn their head, it will sometimes flop over their face and you'll kind of see the head off over one shoulder of the other, but they fit like neat little backpacks on their back. And the thing about these archons are that the only way that those can be removed is the person needs to clean up their addictive issue and then they will detach, but they never leave. They will always, always, once you invite one into your life, they wait for an opportunity, even after you've cleaned up your addiction, they wait for an opportunity to taunt you and get you to, you know, get you to get back on the substance so that they can reattach. I mean, they had a good thing going. Of course, they want to continue. So, and this is why it is so difficult for uh, people with addictions to um, get get off the substance because of these these things that um, they stay in their homes. My brother um, actually had a, an addiction problem. And his archon, even though he had not touched alcohol or drugs for 20 some odd years, would precede him in my house when he was coming to visit. And my children would see it because they're empaths and they've been supported with their gifts. Mm-hmm. And I would see it. And the thing about it is, is it, it jumps from the ceiling from corner to corner or back and forth. It usually doesn't come down farther than like three feet from the ceiling. Like you won't see it crawling around the floor or on the furniture. Mm-hmm. And it'll turn its head all the way around. And forgive me, I don't know if that's a 180 or 90 degrees, but it turns its head all the way around. And that's why I say the thin thing flaps over its face when it, because sometimes on the ceiling, you know, it has feet almost like a frog. It's got four, four digits on the feet and the fingers on the reptilian looking one. My brother had a reptilian looking one. And um, it would show up in my house and I'd be like, oh, Uncle Ray's going to come to visit. And lo and behold, I kid you not, like within 24 hours, I get the call. Oh, we're going to come up this weekend. We're bringing the, we're bringing, you know, they had this camper and we're coming up this weekend. And I'm like, yep, I know you were. And the thing was, is I actually also, when I went to visit his house at one point, saw it in his house. So it stayed, it stayed with him and, and they do stay with you just waiting for that opportunity to um, have, you know, to reattach. So um, I was able to see that too in the facility. But um, with my ability to have second sight, um, I was able to see my mother come out of her body at the time of her death. And I wrote a book about it called Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End. It is not part of the Omnipresent series. It's it's separate from the Omnipresent series. And also being a um, end-of-life care nurse for 17 of the um, 37 years going on 38 years. We won't go there though. Um, (laughs) um, I have seen a lot of people pass away, 
Um, I do help people cross over at that time. And the thing about it is, is that a lot of times people know when they're getting ready to pass because they'll start talking about it or they'll start talking about seeing loved ones. And sometimes this can even occur a year before they even cross over. And I've got some stories to share with you about that to really bring it home. But my mother, you know, my mother actually was at was in hospice. She had had cancer. She decided to stop treatments. Um, and, you know, we checked off her bucket list for that year beforehand. And she ate lasagna every week at her favorite restaurant and enjoyed it. And we got that dash of stuff in her recipes to down to a science so that we could make it exact. And um, when her time finally came for her to go to hospice, she was wheeling herself in the facility saying goodbye to people. And she actually told one lady whose dog had passed away a couple of days before that she would take care of the dog on the other side for her until the lady could get there to retrieve her dog. And yes, your pets do cross over and don't be surprised when you get there if you have, have an elephant or camel approach you because you may have had that pet at another time because all your pets are up there. So get ready. And usually the pets have their own time to meet with their loved ones because you meet with your people and loved ones first and um, the, the pets usually, you know, have their own, their own little second show. But there are some times when a dog will come in if a person would prefer that when their time does come to cross. So anyway, um, with, with my mother, um, I, I would, um, if you want me to, I'll share that story. It's a beautiful sure, story. Yeah, go ahead, yes. please. Okay, a lot of times people, um, when they are in the active transitioning stages of transitioning over, um, sometimes they leave their bodies early and they can even leave it a couple of days early for that matter. And then the body physically just is there to finish. They're not any longer in there. Some choose to stay in until the very, very last minute. And in my mother's case, she chose to stay in until the very last minute. And this was obvious because even though she could no longer open her eyes and she could no longer verbalize words, she would move her eyebrows and, and try to mouth words and it was appropriate. People would come into her room and they would say, hi, Phyllis. And she would, in response. And, um, and also there was one point I was telling a story that she didn't like and she was grimacing. And I know she could because she was like frowning um, with her things. So her responses were appropriate. It wasn't just random. And um, so on the day that uh, she passed, uh, passed away, and again, before that, she was telling people, and sure enough, she did pass away the next day because she was telling people, tomorrow I'm going home. I'm going, you know, I'm going home. And again, I told you the story about the dog. But, um, and she did. She crossed over around lunchtime um, that day. But I was the only one in the room with her um, sitting there. My brother was on his way to get there, but he wasn't able to make it in time. And I believe that it was meant to be that way because of the experience that I was left with that I may have missed if I had been distracted, you know, by having someone else there. Uh -huh. So I'm sitting in a recliner next to my mom's bed and the whole wall on the opposite side of the room started to, to mist. I mean, wall to wall, floor to ceiling. And I could see movement on the other side. And like, sometimes I would see like a shoulder stick out. And in, in this one case, I saw a pant leg with a shoe. And yes, people, they do show up with clothes on. Nobody wants to see mom naked. It would be pretty shocking. Oh, yeah, mom, it's nice to see you. But I don't want to hug you if you're naked. So you know, you they want they do show up in clothes. 
And um, usually they show up in what they've passed away in, if, if it's a lost soul that hasn't crossed over. Um, oh, and let me just say this. There are three kinds of death. There's natural death, which most of us have. There is a sudden death, which is handled differently on the other side, as well as near-death experience. My mother had a natural death, and that's kind of the avenue that I'm taking um, uh, right now to, to talk about. But um, so the missing was there, and it started to efface on the, the area towards the head of the bed. And in that, my grandmother, my mother's mother, walked in, and she looked the exact same. She had that 1980s cur tight curly perm and she had the little leisure suit that she had made for herself that she was buried in. She even presented in glasses. I mean, she presented, I, she looked the exact same as I remember seeing her um, last. And she walked over to my mother's bedside and she started to stroke the inside of my mother's form. My mom was sitting kind of at a slant. And so my grandmother's reaching, she's stroking her forearm and she, goes forward and she says something in my mother's ear and i see my mother responding to her comment with the mouthing thing and the eyebrow thing and then my grandmother leaned forward again and did this did this like three times i see this frantic wave behind my grandmother's head also in that opening that his effaced uh -huh. and it was my beautiful sister robin who had been murdered by a jealous boyfriend when she was had just turned 20 and i could smell her perfume her perfume filled the room. She wore an unusual perfume called Latisse back in the 80s. And she came around from the misting and actually embraced me. I could feel her beautiful hair going over my face. I could smell her. I could feel her essence. And when she went back around, the, um, the whole, all of the, um, the misting was gone. The whole side of the room had opened up. And I could see into the other side. And there were hundreds of people there. And anybody that, you know, talks about UFOs and things, it's all connected. It's all connected. So um, it, it's not just one or the other. It's all connected. So um, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at, they, they've, they've created this beautiful reception for my mother. Um, they have colors on the other side that we do not have here. You would need a couple of color wheels. And it's not just that they're colors. There's an energy about the colors and an essence that when you look at them and you connect with them, it's like you almost become one, um, like they're living colors, if that yeah. even makes makes sense. Um, the light, there's, well, there's no light source. The light seems to emit from within the atmosphere itself and the lighting is perfect. The temperature is perfect. And the love and elation that was coming from that other side while I was sitting there was like, it, there, there are no words that can describe it, and there's not a feeling that can touch it. It just, it was like getting something that you have missed, that you had forgotten that you even ever experienced, and it, and you can't help but sit there and smile. But um, so I'm sitting there and I'm watching these things, you know, and and the people, and all of a sudden, um, I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I gave her a kiss, I said, I love you. I'm going to be fine, but Grandma and Robin are here, and it's time for you to go home. And, of course, she did the mouthing thing and the eyebrow thing. And within 10 minutes, she took her last breath. But before that happened, um, I'm noticing up towards the head of her bed um, this group of, of beings that were like in a football huddle, like right next to her bed, like double layered. And um, when they opened, my mother was standing in the middle. It was kind of like they were trying to... 
um, you know, help her with her spiritual feet to ground her, you know, um, in her spirit form. And so my mother, there was my mother, she was beaming. She was so happy. And one by one, these people, I mean, some of them I recognized from this lifetime, some, a couple of uncles and grandparents and things like that, that had crossed over a lot. Some of them I didn't, but my mother did. She knew who those people were and they were greeting her. And, you know, in that moment, I'm watching her, how happy she is and all of that elation. And of course, I, I, I'm like, I wish that I could just step in for the day, you know, and go for the party too. So, but of course, you know, um, I, you'd have to die to do that. And it wasn't my time. So, um, she's greeting these people and, you know, um, there were also these beautiful, there were angels, there were loved ones, there were these, um, spirits that appeared to be the level of angels, but they didn't mm -hmm. have wings. They were very tall. Um, they were gorgeous. I, I don't know if they, if they were male or female or if they even, if they were neutral or if that even matter. they didn't matter. They were gorgeous and they were also there to help. And they kind of looked like they were from somewhere else. And, you know, we really have to consider the fact that there are so many stars in the sky that are actually sunshines to solar systems mm -hmm. that it would be, you know, it, I think that it would be um, ignorant on our part not to believe that there are other, you know, um, other people living on other solar systems, maybe even people like us are different. But the truth of the matter is, if you want to take a scientific um, a scientific edge on it, you know, um, energy can't be created or destroyed. So even in other solar systems, if there are beings that complete their their lifespan or whatever it was they were intended to do, they have to go somewhere, you know. So I mean, and they, these were gorgeous. They weren't they weren't creepy ones like the bugs and the bug looking ones that you see on people here. People see on these were gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, so tall they were like skimming their heads on the ceiling. But as I'm sitting there, the room kind of thinned out. Um, um, and let me just back up to. Um, after I, after I saw her come out of her body and I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm smiling. You can't help but smile when you're in the midst of all of this elation. And I look over and I notice that my mom had stopped breathing and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I better call the nurse because if she walks in, my mother's dead and I'm smiling, she's going to wonder what I did to her. You know, that's not a normal response, you know? Right, right. So, yes. Yeah, so I called the nurse the nurse came in and she pronounced that she had crossed over. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, they, of course, they have to do that um, legally. But I asked her, I said, can I stay? Because I wanted to see what else was going to happen. And I mean, the, what went on literally was like 20 minutes. Um, our, you know, our time, it's different. It, it, I mean, it went on. The nurse came in and walked through them. They didn't seem to be bothered. They just ignored her. Everything continued on. And finally, the room thinned out. And um, there were about the five of those souls, my, my mother, my grandmother and my sister were still there walking with my mother. And where I was sitting, there were windows behind me. And I know they say, you know, when somebody is crossing away to, to crack a window, and I, I don't know if there's anything to that. Um, but it was, it might have just been a coincidence that they were headed towards those window, and they might have been headed in that direction anyway. But um, as they were starting to file out, they made connection with the top of my head and it felt very tingly. And my mother, I recognized my mother as she approached because she had beautiful legs and I could see her legs in her patient gown. And the way that I see spirits is out of my peripheral vision. I can see them as plain as I can see you. I can tell you what they have on, what color their hair is. You know, I can tell you all of that. When they 
are at a distance in front of me, they appear to me like when you go to a mall or something and you're walking up and there's a giant plate glass window and you see your reflection in it. They, they look like that to me, like, like that reflective type of thing. And when they're close up to me, I, I see a wavering waffling to the air, kind of like um, vapors off of a hot road or, or gas fumes, how they waver in the air. And sometimes I'll see a lower half. But um, so anyway, um, so my mother, you know, she I see her legs. I can't see her upper half. And of course, she crosses with them. And I, I never grieved my mother's loss because to me, she wasn't dead. I mean, she's still around me. And there are some comical things that have happened with that, too, that if we have time, I, I will share those. But as it go ahead. Did you want to ask me something? No, I was just I was just thinking about when my father passed. And when you talk about like one, one, you know, one, one wall of the room or one half of the room. When my father passed, you know, you always think of people when they pass that their eyes are going to be rolled up or they're looking at, they're looking, they're looking up. He was looking off to the side, like someone yes. had been standing over there to, to come get him, like his mother or somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's where his eyes were, were, were you know, were set. Yes. So, uh, I get all this. This is fantastic. Yeah, you know, um, being a nurse for 17 years um, in end-of-life care, I've got some stories that will really bring this home for people. Um, I'd be happy to share those if you want sure. me to continue. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I had one patient that was totally blind. She had just come on my unit. I didn't know her that well. She'd only been with us for a couple of weeks. And her kids come to her. She had a son and a daughter that come to the nurse's station, and they say to me, Mom's talking to people in the room that aren't, that aren't there. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I expected that, you know what I mean? Because this is part of the transitioning um, thing. And so I said, well, let me let me walk down with you and see if I can um, help make your mom more comfortable, see if she needs something. So we walk down together and we walk into the room. She's also sitting at a slant, but she's reaching into the air, trying to like, like she's ha some, handling something very delicate like somebody's handing her snowflakes or something and she's so happy she's grinning her face is lit up with whatever it is that she's doing you know trying to reach these things and i said to her when we walked in the room i said edna I said who's here and she said george and her daughter had to sit down she became as white as a sheet and she said george is my father she says my my father's been dead for x amount of years and then edna speaks up and she says and he's glad that you're taking good care of Pixie. Pixie was her poodle. When her husband passed away and Edna was blind, the son had to take possession of the dog, who was still very much an old dog, like, like 15, 16 years old, but it was still very much alive. And he had her. And he, and he told me the story. He says, well, I have her. You know, he says, do, do you think that my mom's hallucinating? And I always, you know, you can't say no, I don't think she's hallucinating. This is what happens. Loved ones do come forward, you know, uh, to get them. And I said, well, do you, do you think she's hallucinating? And he says, well, uh, I, I don't know. And I said, well, I said, let me, do, do you mind if I try something? I said, I'm, I, I'm not trying to change your belief system. I said, but I, in my experience, I, loved ones do come forward to collect their, you know, to help their loved ones cross over. I said, would you mind if I try something? And he said, you know, he said, go ahead. And I said, Edna I said, can I ask George a question? And she nodded her head. Yes. And I said, what color is your son's shirt? And she said, yellow. 
Now, he was wearing a pastel yellow Ralph Lauren polo shirt. And keep in mind that this woman was totally blind, no shadows, nothing. She could see nothing. So in that moment, it became very profound for the son. And he's like, hi, dad. He got it in that moment that his father spirit was actually there with his mother. And um, I have also another um, a story, and this is one of my favorite ones because this lady was just precious. They're all precious, but this lady, I got to know her well, and we kind of connected in, the, in that way. And her name was Abigail. Um, where I was working, there it was a facility with three different levels of care. So there was independent, assisted living, and skilled. And I was working in the skilled area as a nurse. And she and her husband came to the facility looking for care because of his health deteriorating. And and um, so um, Abigail ended up slipping and falling and fracturing her hip and ended up on my unit for a little while. And we kind of made friends that way and built a rapport. And there was one day that I came in in particular and Abigail was upset. And I asked her, I said, you know, what, what's wrong? And she says, do you think I'm crazy? And of course, because we had that rapport built up, I was teasing her, I'm like, define crazy. You know, she says, no, no, no. She says, I mean, crazy, crazy. And I'm like, well, no, of course not. You know, why would you even say something like that? And she said, well, I see my parents. She says, I know that they died a long time ago, but it makes me happy. She said, and I see them. And, and now because I see my parents, the doctors want to put me on medication for hallucinations. And she didn't want to take it. And I told her, I said, you know, I was a night shift nurse and I'd come, you know, come on. I said, well, you know, in report, I heard that tomorrow morning they're going to be discharging you home. I said, and as your advocate, you're of sound mind, which you are. I said, you don't, you can refuse to take the medication. You don't have to take it. And of course she was happy with that. And she was discharged and went, went home. And um, about six months later, her health started to rapidly decline and she ended up on my unit again. And this time when she returned, she was talking about seeing, in addition to her parents, a woman with a little girl. And the thing was, is this little girl and woman were so real to her that she would sneak cookies and snacks from the patient dining room back to her room to give to the little girl. And of course this was making a bug problem. So we, we had to stop her from doing that. And um, so, um, there was one day in particular that a friend of mine that worked the day shift needed the day off and she asked if I would cover her. So I agreed to go in and cover her. Mm -hmm. And um, I had the hallway with Abigail and I, they, all of the residents had come back. They'd been back in their rooms after lunch and um, I get my treatment cart ready to go down and do my treatments. And as I'm passing Abigail's room, she has this, this woman with this little girl standing in her room in, in front of her. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, yay, great. You know, Abigail's got some visitors today. Isn't that nice? And the way that Abigail was sitting is um, there was a big picture window with an air conditioner underneath like hotels have. And she was off to the side in, in a recliner. But she was leaning forward with this piece of yellow butterscotch wrapped candy in her hand trying to give it to the little girl. So... Um, I thought to myself, I took about five steps, three to five steps from the door. And I remember thinking, hey, wait a minute. You know, I don't remember those people signing in. And we legally have to have a head count just in case there's an emergency and the fire department has to come and get the people. They need to know how many people are in the building to say, you know, to get out of the building if there's an emergency. So I backed up 
and I knocked on the door frame and she invited me in. And of course, when I completely entered the room, there was nothing there. But I could see the waffling like right, right a foot, like a foot from me um, that close. I could see the waffling. So I knew that the spirits were still there. And Abigail says to me, she says, I want you to meet my friend. She says, isn't the little girl beautiful? And I said, yes, she is. Abigail springs forward in her chair and she's like, can you see them? And I'm like, uh, yes. And she says, don't tell anybody. She says, because they'll think you're crazy and put you on medication. So here this, yes, yeah, so here this woman was being heavily medicated for hallucinations and she was still seeing they, her parents and these, these other people because she wasn't hallucinating and she had the wherewithal to know the difference. And about a month later, um, she, uh, she was in an active decline and I came in on shift and I'll share this with you. This is special. It makes me cry. Sure. But um, um, I came in, uh, it was night shift and she was in the stage of rallying, which um, nurses are aware of what this is where their toes kind of go flaccid and they get that glazed look over to their eyes um, and they're laying there. And then all of a sudden their toes will perk and their eyes will brighten and, and they'll come back. And they're like testing the dimensions, but sometimes even when they come back, they'll start talking about seeing people and even children that haven't been born yet. You know, they'll tell, they'll tell about things like that. I've had that happen a couple of times as well. And it turned out to be true. But um, so, um, anyway, um, I go in and I see her and she's in that stage of rallying and I stroke her arm and I say, Miss Abigail, it's Lynn. I'm, I'm here to check your blood pressure and her eyes just brighten. And she said to me, she said, I am, I am so glad that I get to see you one more time. She said, I'm going home tomorrow with my parents when they come and get me. I knew what that meant. So right. I said to her, I, 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 I mean, I was tearing up at that moment anyway. And I, said to her, I said, you precious lady, I said, thank you so much, you know, for coming into my life and allowing me to be part of your healthcare team. And she interrupts me and she had this huge personality. Um, that way she always smiling. And she said to me, and I want to tell you something. She says, you're very much loved on the other side and you need to keep doing what you're doing. And um, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, and I, and I said to her, I said, oh, you, and I said, you know, we will, we will meet see each other again and she says oh we most certainly will <laughs> and um yeah and so the next night um i was off and i could feel her i made it home i was looking at the clock it was like 10 10 30 at night i made it home and so the next day i just called you know um a friend of mine had come off shift she's she mentioned that she had passed away and found out that she had crossed over between those hours. And um, she was just, you know, kind of letting me know she had made it home. But, um, you know, it, even people, um, you know, it, it, I have another, for instance, if I can share that one too. Um, I had a, I real had- quick, a, Real quick, yeah. there's a question. Somebody's got a question for oh, you. Oh, sorry. I, I had a patient with Alzheimer's sure. and she, um, I had worked at the facility for seven years and she, I remember her when she was up walking around and talking to people, but she uh -huh. hadn't spoken one word in three years. And I'm at the nurse's station and she's in front of the nurse's station. And all of a sudden I hear this woman screaming, take me home, take me home, please, please take me home. And I come out of the nurse's station and I look down the hallways and there's nobody there. Shirley's still sitting there, but uh -huh. I figured that whoever it was that was calling was the issue was addressed by someone. 
So mm-hmm. I turn to go back into the back of the nurse's station. And again, I hear, take me home, take me home, please, please take me home. And I turn and it's Shirley. Shirley's wow. the one calling out. And so I walked over to Shirley and I asked her, I said, Shirley, I said, who do you want to have take you home? And she was facing a hallway where we had a patient that was actively passing the first door on the right. And she was pointing down the hallway and she said, look at the angels. Aren't they beautiful? And she continued to call out to them. And of course, I looked with my second sight and that woman's loved ones and angels were literally bulging out of the wall into the hallway. And that's what Shirley was seeing. And Shirley herself passed away about three or four months later. So, yes, what's the I'm I'm ready for questions. Go ahead. Okay, question for Lynn is what is the most important thing we can say to a loved one as they're transitioning? She says, I'm guessing it's I love you, right? That it's okay for them to go. That that is okay for yes, of course, to love them, but it's also important to let them know that it's okay for them to go. Because sometimes they linger for people that are grieving at the bedside, you know, and they kind of stay connected. Um, grieving is okay, you know, for people to do, but it's sometimes if it's a long, um, drawn out grieving, it kind of anchors the soul here um, somewhat, and it it makes it more difficult for them to cross over and do what they're supposed to do. The reason why I was smiling and laughing while you were t- talking about the, the other patient, my, I, that's a, exactly what my mother did. <laughs> really? <laughs> in her case, it was a bologna sandwich. And, and she's sitting on the couch and I see her, you know, doing this. And I'm, I went, well, what are you doing? She says, I'm feeding them. <laughs> Don't feed them, more will come. <laughs> and I remember how awkward it was going into, like when she had to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And they would ask me, I knew what they were after. And they'd say, is she hallucinating? And I looked at them and I said, well, that depends what you mean by hallucinating. I'm a ghost hunter. Yeah. And I see these cases all the time now. You know, it depends what you mean by hallucinating. You know, I, I, I believe she's seeing her relatives. You believe it's, you know, something else. And, but, and uh, she was. Yeah. And I went through that with my mother. Same things you're wow. describing. That's amazing. And, and, and everyone, they are seeing their relatives. And a lot of times when they're talking about a relative, they're not talking about someone that the family themselves doesn't already know. You know, on occasion, they might talk about the Oriental lady sitting in the corner and may not even recognize her themselves, but they will when they cross over, because that might be someone that didn't come in that during this lifetime with them, but is waiting to greet them on the other side as well. So yes, they are seeing their loved ones coming in. And the problem is, too, is a lot of times because people are so uncomfortable with having a dead person in the room that they'll run and get the nurse to get the medication to shut the transitioning patient up, you know, because, but you, you know, there, there is so much that you can learn from a person that is actively dying. If you can get past the grieving at that point, they're not dead. Uh-huh. It's not the last time that you're going to yeah. see them. You will see them again. So, um, you know, if you can kind of look at it like they're going on a long vacation, you know, but you, this is not the end. You will see them again, that it's important. Another question. Um, does Lynn think that, all time, that, that Alzheimer's is a part of the transition for some people? You know, Alzheimer's is not. Alzheimer's is, is a brain deteriorating disease that they really don't have a di- that they really don't have um, a reason for. They, they think it might be hereditary, but then again, maybe not. They really don't know what causes it. They're kind of trying to learn some things. But no, the, the, the beautiful thing of it was is that this woman 
even though she wasn't hadn't spoken a word in three years, she recognized the angels and knew what they were. And she was calling out to them appropriately to take her home, but that's what she wanted to do. So no, the Alzheimer's is not part of the, the transitioning part. And a lot of times too, you'll see a change in that Alzheimer's patient when it comes closer to their time to end. I mean, time, time to transition over. Let's see, I'm looking at these. Oh, we're getting a lot of comments here. Okay, let's see, having worked for a lot of years, I can relate, yeah. Uh, Pamela Schmidt has worked in, in uh, nursing homes or in the nursing you know, business for a lot of years, so she can relate to what you're saying. Well, good, I'm glad. And you know, sometimes too, um, and just to let you know, Everybody, I've seen atheists, I've seen Jehovah's Witnesses, I've seen Presbyterians, I've seen Buddhists, all of them cross over. The only thing that stops you from crossing over is yourself. And that's if you choose to stay earthbound. And you do have a choice, just like on this earth. And usually the ones that choose to stay here are the ones that end up haunting houses and Charlotte has to go and chase them out. Yeah. So, um, but the thing is, is that a lot of times the reason why the soul remains here is because of religious beliefs. Maybe they feel that they're not worthy or that they're going to be sent to hell or something like that. Um, or maybe they were watching over a loved one or a pet um, during this lifetime and they expected them to cross before they did. So they kind of still linger. And then when that actual uh, being that they were watching over a pet passes over, that soul gets stuck here. And as you notice with souls, they're either looking forward or, or side to side or down, but they're never looking up. And really all you have to do is ask them to look up so that they can reconnect with that cord that connects us all with that because they kind of lose, lose their way. But if they look up, you'll see them almost instantly disappear. They'll just go. So, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But I have a funny story to tell you about a, a man that had not crossed over. Um, when people are crossing over, a lot of times some of the lost souls will come close because they're curious and they also notice the angels and the, the beings that are coming in to collect them. And I was working and I was in front of this uh, patient's room that was actively passing. And there was a sitting area in front of me with pillars. And behind one of the pillars, kind of peering out to the side, I see this, it was a, a ghost, it was a man. Um, and I said, I'm like, hi, you know, hi you know, type thing. And of course, he's looking over his shoulders because uh, by his appearance and his clothes, he was maybe alive in like the 1800s. I mean, he appeared to have money, not like upper class, upper class, but like upper middle class, because his clothes that he had on were were nice clothes. So I said, No, you there? I said, Why, why haven't you um, crossed over? And so he realized that I was talking. So he kind of comes over and if, uh, to more towards my side on the side of the med cart so I could see him. And I mentioned him, you know, um, I said, you know, this lady over here is crossing and I can help you cross over if you want to go. You know, um, there aren't that many people that can see you. And uh, when they do see you, they probably run off screaming. So, you know, it might be this is this is a good this is a good deal. This is a chance here for you to go. And you might even be able to go when these people go. Not that you have to have somebody to go, you know, spirits to go with in that case for this guy. But um, so, and he, the thing was, is he was a handsome man. He looked to be about 35 years old. He had an area with his abdomen that appeared like Swiss cheese. And, and um, when they don't cross over, they do still show the cause of death 
um, type thing. And to me, when I see that Swiss cheese anywhere on the body, it indicates to me that they have crossed over due to a corrosive disease like cancer or maybe cirrhosis of the liver, in his case, in the area that it was in. And um, he, he had this uh, very, very heavy Irish brogue. And he said to me, he said, milady, he says, I can't cross over. And I'm like, oh, sure, sure you can. I can help you cross over. He says, no, my wife and my mistress are on the other side and neither one knew about the other. <laughs> so he stayed earthbound all of this time because he didn't want to have to go across and face the music. And I even told him, I said, look, I said, they know now. I said, the cat's out of the bag. I said, and not only that, they may not even be there anymore. They might've gone off to do something else. I said, and really they look at things differently and they understand things differently. And they're not going to be angry with you when you cross over. And he just kind of smiled at me and faded away. So I don't know where he went or what happened, but I never saw him again. Of course, that was the first time I saw him too. But I thought that was interesting that he chose to stay here because he didn't want to have to admit what he was doing to either one. So, yeah. I have run into that before, the Brookdale Lodge. Really? Full of gangsters out there, you know, from Prohibition. <laughs> and when we were there and we were trying to communicate with them, you know, through the psychics, their concern was that their wives would find out they were there with their mistresses. <laughs> so I have run into that. Libby yes. says, my view on death changed completely after reading Danny and Brinkley's book, Saved by the Light many years ago. Have you met him, Lynn, or Dr. Raymond Moody? Um, I have his book. As, as a matter of fact, I have read uh, Danny's uh, books. I'm trying to get him on my show. I also have a podcast called Synchronicity, Adding Pieces to the Puzzle. I'm also going to have Charlotte. I'm going to see if I can get Charlotte on there. She's willing to come and, and talk sure. with me. Um, but, um, and I'm trying to get him on there, but you know, I, I follow Danny and I think that he is absolutely amazing. And, and I'd like to share something, um, with, about him. Sure. He's had like four near death experiences and on his last death experience, when he came back, he started hugging people more and, um, people started to say to him, wow, you know, you've become such a hugger, you know, you weren't really much of a hugger before. And he says, I'm not hugging you. I'm hugging me. Because when I cross over onto the other side, all of the people that I've given hugs to and got that feel good feeling is going to come back to me, you know, um, uh, you know, when when I have my my life review. So, you know, it's interesting to, you know, people don't realize how much those um, those heartfelt, kind acts of of just selflessness that you do for another person, how those rewards do come back to you on the other side in that feel good um, type thing. And, you know, people, you know, they, oh, well, I'm a good person. I pay my taxes and I don't speed. And, you know, I put money in the box at church and, you know, type thing. But, and those things are good, but that's, it's a different kind of good. Those are things that you kind of have to do anyway, just to be a decent citizen. Mm -hmm. um, the things like, giving the waitress or, or, or the, the delivery person an extra $20 that you didn't have to because they're, they're working and you don't realize that they're trying to pay their water bill or picking up a box of kittens. And yes, animals count too. Mm -hmm. Animals count too. In your life review, you better be nice to animals because, you know, you're, you're going to, you're definitely going to reap what you sow in that one, but you pick up the box and get it to someplace safe. With that and when I say reap what you sow, you're not judged on the other side, you judge yourself. Mm -hmm. But the thing about judging yourself 
is that you go through things and let's say you bullied somebody, you're put in that person's shoes and made to feel what you created with your actions. And they're not pleasant. It's not pleasant. You get to see the rippling effect, but you also get to feel the good things that you did too. But, um, you know, it, it's important to, you know, to understand that that sometimes that's not pleasant, but even with animals, you know, you need to take care of your animals, you know, make sure that they even fleas, you know, you, you need to be responsible for taking good care of them. Uh -huh. But um, so um, anyway, uh, that that's, I thought that that was really, really cool that you did that and that people just need, um, you know, walk up to a homeless person, I mean, and, and give them a sandwich, maybe even give them a hug. Uh -huh. You know, I know that that sounds, some people are like, oh, you know, well, they, they smell funny. I can promise you what you get from giving that homeless person a hug that no one has touched in a loving manner in years. Mm -hmm. What you will get from it will be more than they get from it because of the feeling and then go home and take a shower. You know what I'm saying? If you're worried about odor or something like that. But there, there are these selfless kind acts of love are so very, very important for people to do while they're here. Um, you know, definitely step forward and 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 if you notice something going wrong you would also step forward with that and expose it and try to be of assistance so it's, another, it question, is another yes. question in the chat room from pamela can souls who have passed come back to get their family and go back to the other side with the person um you know with the person who just passed and what, what, what do they do when they get to the other side okay um how that works is one like i said you can choose to cross over or not both of them keep all of their senses. One keeps their addiction and their cause of death exposed and their mental illness and all of that. Those are the ones that decide to stay here. When you cross that boundary over, you become more perfected. You can come and go as you please. And the thing is, is everything there is done with thought. They, they communicate through telepathy. And if they want to go somewhere, my mother told me this too, they want to go somewhere, they think of it and they just go. If they want to see a person or a person's thinking of them they connect they can also be in six places simultaneously so they can be with you and your brother and your uncle all at the same time but when you connect with them when you're thinking of them they are right there they're right there and um also um they they can come as i said they they can come back there was something else i was going to say and it kind of slipped my mind but um with my mother i made a pact with her to ensure that I would be sure even on a stressful day that she was there. I had asked her to leave one of her, she had long hair like mine, but it was beautiful pearlescent white. And I asked her to leave her hairs. And even on the day of her funeral, I wanted to relax in a bubbly tub. So I ran a tub and put some bubbles in it. And when I came to get in lengthwise, laid on the top of those bubbles was one of her hairs. To this day, I have moved to a house that she's never been in, a car that she's never been in. Even this past Thanksgiving, I still found one of her chairs, one of her hairs laid across the chair um, in the house. And when I had gone back to school to further my degree, um, I was it was a day that I had to go to a class and take a very, very stressful test. And I had to stop at the school bookstore first. I picked up a three ring binder and the loose leaf papers that were supposed to go in. It went straight from the bookstore to my car to the school, to my classroom, took the bag in. And when I opened up the three ring binder my, in the third, in the, in the middle ring looped in the teeth was one of my mother's hairs. Now, 
that could have been a fluke, but it was comforting to me. But you know what? There were hundreds of three ring binders for me to choose from. And I didn't look inside of it when I picked it up. I just picked the blue one. You know, there was green and red and all different colors. And, and it was, it, there was no way, there was no way that it could have gotten there any other way unless she had put it there. And even if the person has passed, they mm -hmm. can hear you like we're talking, they can hear you. You can make a pact with them even when they're on the other side. Choose something as a symbol, a ladybug, you know, something. They can move cards. They can move feathers. Sometimes they can open and close doors if they've been here long enough. But um, they they can do these these things. And, um, and it may not, like, you might see a ladybug on your windowsill during the winter months. And it's like, wow, how did that even get there? Mm -hmm. Or you might open a page of a magazine and there's, a ladybug that all counts they're letting you know that they're present with you at that time so what i did when my mother died <clears throat> was I, I i bathed her in a certain soap <laughs> and so when she's here i can tell she's here yeah because i can smell that scented soap that's okay. beautiful yeah yeah she's, cool. she's here a lot she's, she's here a lot more than i thought she would be yeah she leaves her calling card oh something i wanted to share with you too um my mother was telling me when she was talking about the telepathy, I, I asked her, I said, Mom, you know, don't you ever, you know, don't you ever miss the taste of the potato salad that you used to make or the brownies or barbecued ribs? I mean, you know, I like food, so I wanted to know. And she's like, well, we don't eat here. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course not. She says, but she says, however, when we think of the food that we've experienced, that we want to taste, it comes to us the flavor and the sensation of eating it comes to us as if we are eating it. And I said to her, I said, Oh my God, you know, can you imagine if we had that here, you could eat whatever you want, you know, you don't have to worry about salt or cholesterol or anything, you know? So, but I thought that that was a really interesting thing that she shared with me every once in a while, she comes through like a megaphone, you know, type thing. <laughs> um, when before she died, she was the one that would always make our turkeys at Thanksgiving and she passed away in July. So the duty of making the turkey fell on to, into my lap of which I had never made a turkey before. Mm -hmm. So I'm Googling, you know, the turkey thing and I'm getting it ready. And all of a sudden, like a megaphone, I hear her come through and she says, don't forget the aluminum foil. And I'm like, I don't want any aluminum foil. I want one of those nice brown turkeys like the ones they have on TV. Yeah. And of course, I found out very quickly that the reason why you need the aluminum foil is to even out the cooking. So I ended up burning the breast and the legs were raw. And we ended up having hamburgers for Thanksgiving that year. And of course, I had to apologize um, to my mom for, for not listening. And now from now on, I put aluminum foil on the turkey. That's for sure. So... That's yeah <laughs> that's funny lynn thank you so much for coming tonight it's it's been my pleasure it's, it's been my pleasure please reach out anytime i'd be happy to uh to share with you if somebody cancel or whatever also sure. if every and don't forget people to share this out and subscribe but give yeah. a thumbs up like charlotte said in the beginning um i do have a website it's www.lynnmonet.com i also have a um a podcast on tuesday nights at eight p.m. Eastern time, which would be, I think, 5.30 your time, or your yeah. three hours, uh, 5, 4.30, 5.30, yeah. synchronicity, adding pieces to the puzzle every Tuesday night. I also co-host Journey Through the Gate with Cisco 
on every last Sunday of the month and usually the second Sunday of the month as well. So you can find me there. Um, you can reach me through my website. It does have an option for email. I do answer my own emails. So um, if you have any questions or anything that you want to reach out for, I have my books being sold through my website. I've got Omnipresent, Omnipresent What Happens Next. I've got Omnipresent 111 Becca Dawn Drive coming out at the end of April, um, which is a third book. is a story about a ghost that was going from house to house pulling down women's underwear during the nighttime. And I have a picture of that ghost. I took it with my own camera. I have a picture. It's the first naked ghost I've ever seen. And he's standing there covering his Johnson, like he's modest after he goes and, and, and harasses women in their sleep. So um, um, that's that's the third of the series. Um, Colors of Heaven is there. I also have a book that just came out called The Gap, What Else Your Adolescent and Teen Needs to Know, which talks about everything from going out on your first date without stinky sneakers, because no matter how beautiful or cute you are, stinky sneakers are not attractive and what to do if a condom breaks. So. Um, it talks about a lot of good stuff too. So anyway, you can find me there. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. (laughs) And uh, I I was, I was smiling and laughing because like I said, (laughs) I went through all that with my mother and, and, and I I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I spent 11 years with my family and being able to be there at the very end with both of them was huge. Yes. It surely is. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Are you going to, um, are we going to go to the the green room or the backstage or um, are you going to sign off at the end here? I'll talk to you afterwards if you want. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. That would be great. All yeah. right. All right. I'm going to drop you off right now. I'm going to just. Thank you everybody. Much love and light. Yep. Don't leave. Okay. I won't leave. Okay. okay. All right. That was fun. And like I said, I went through the stuff with my mother and my father, and, and I, I can attest to everything she's saying. I mean, I saw stuff. I heard my mother shout at my father at one point. I guess he came to get her, and she wasn't ready to go, and I heard her shout at him saying, I'm not ready yet. Leave me alone. You know, so I've been through the gauntlet. Anyway, tomorrow, Nancy Matz is with us, and we're going to be talking about spiritual attachments. So we'll be looking forward to that. Usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, Share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, I haven't done this in a while. <clears throat> you know, be on the lookout for the uh, for, for the Patreon. I'm, like I said, I'm going to put the link up later on tonight on, on, on these things. So when you go to YouTube, you can check it out. But also, you see that ticker running at the bottom. That's because California Haunts is uh, is nonprofit, and uh, you know all these bills and everything you see for the show and and my my paranormal team come out of my pocket. If you could help me out a little bit to keep the show on the air and keep going, that would be great. You know, I've got internet, uh, you know, internet stuff to pay for and all that kind of equipment. Something breaks, you know, it all. Uh, you could do that at paypal.me forward slash California Haunts, or you could do that at Venmo at California Haunts, you know. Okay, anyway, that being said, thank you guys for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. And I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So here we go.